Good morning, everyone. I really, really, really don't like breaking up the fellowship. It's good to see you all interacting and being cheerfully greeting one another and enjoying your time together. But my, but my end time stops at the same time, no matter how much you enjoyed at the front end. So, All right, well, I'm sure as many of you are just burdened over uh, the things that are going on in the world, including Ukraine, Russia, all that's going on there. So why don't we begin praying this morning, praying for the church worldwide, but also praying uh, in those places of conflict uh, for the Lord of peace to be made known. Lord, we continue worshiping you today from our morning hours of rising and seeking your face and praying and feeling the burdens of a fallen world. We profess again that our only hope is the Prince of Peace. Our only hope is Christ. Our only hope is that you, uh, the God of all and creator of all, would show yourself faithful when we see the greed and the hate and the grasping of man and the consequences on families and men and women, political upheavals, fights, wars, rumors of wars, Lord, we so deeply long for a time where our swords will be beaten into plowshares and the baby will be able to lay down next to the serpent and play with it, as it were, and that there will be peace, that there will be love, that there will be unity, that there will be a universal acknowledgement of Christ and all that he is and all that he has done. And until then, we are fighting for faith. We are fighting to believe in the midst of the darkness, to believe in the midst of conflict, and we have Brothers and sisters, you have children who are in these places, and you have also those who are lost and who will perish without hope um, if they are killed in the midst of these conflicts. And so we, we pray that you, the eternal God, unchanging, mysterious, and unknown, would make yourself known, or through the gospel, through love, through the service of your people in the world through the ministry of your Holy Spirit. And so please give us help and help us, whether it's these large conflicts or the small conflicts relatively in our own families, in our own relationships, the, uh, the dragons that are in our own hearts. Lord, would you please help us to fight courageously today and to do so in faith and hope, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> All right, well, this is the first week. Uh, we're going to begin three weeks of uh, review of our core values. We've done this, uh, actually, this is 3.0 is what I'm calling it, core values 3.0. And there's a couple of practical reasons we're doing this. One is just simply that um, we're in between uh, Tyler's Sunday School series on the frameworks of biblical theology and um, the next uh, quarter where we're going to have our elective Sunday School classes. We're in, in the in-between state there. We've got a, uh, a congregational meeting next week. 
Uh, so there's just a lull time here of what to fit in here, what to put in here. And so we talked and prayed and thought it would be a good time, actually a suggestion of one of the brothers in our church to uh, review our core values, that it's good to hear these things and just remember um, what, what it is we're doing here. So that's what we're going to do beginning this week. Now, when we talk about vision statements or core values, I'm one of those guys that for many, many years just... I just thought they were silly. I just thought they were, well, maybe not silly. It's a little condescending, but just not needless uh, or, or not needful. Um, they, it sounded like a business thing or a casting vision or things like that. And for years, people would have asked me, you know, what, what, what are the values or what, what is the mission of RBC? And it's like, well, we just want to believe the Bible, um, which sounds great and is very sincere and well-meaning. But at some point, you know, the Bible says a lot of different things, and the Bible teaches a lot of different things, and there's really a priority of different kind of things in the Bible. They're, they're first things of the gospel, uh, as Paul calls them in 1 Corinthians 15. They're the things that are the primary things. There are things that are secondary. There are things that maybe are tertiary uh, or way out there that some people make the main thing, and so it seems good just to have an idea of core values, like what are the things that motivate us? What are the things that really um, uh, drive everything else? What are the things that fuel and, and cultivate everything else? Um, so with a well-meaning just to be biblical, I think it is helpful just to have some core values, some simple things. And you, and you think, really, what, what in the Old Testament law is important? I think Jesus would say everything is important. But when he was asked what the first and greatest commandment was, he didn't say all the Bible. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbors yourself. So even Jesus had no problem with having core values, the things that, that spill out into everything else. So these core values are, by nature, core. They're not meant to be exhaustive, but they're fundamental to all the others. If, if we have a lot of other values, I believe if we lose these core values or we don't focus on them or they're not the things that uh, really motivate us and give us desires, uh, we can do a lot of other things. We've actually lost the heart of the gospel. So we can think about these core values as touchstones to come back to for reflection and assessment uh, to keep the main things the main things, to keep the primary things right at the center. So most of you have been around here long enough to know what they are. They are with uh, with uh, two breakouts under each one. We have three core values, love God, build the church, reach the world, and then each one of those have two sub-values, each of which have two things snuck into them. So you can see here, love God by pursuing God in word and prayer and by worshiping God corporately and personally. We're going to come back to that. That's what we're going to look at this week. Our second is build the church by making disciples, through evangelism, and maturing disciples. And then secondly, by equipping and serving the body of Christ. That's how the church is to be built. And then thirdly, reach the world by planting churches locally and abroad and by serving communities in mercy and justice. And as I was reflecting on this and, and reviewing this material this week, um, I wonder if I was doing it again, if I wouldn't swap those two for various reasons. But uh, anyway, so we're coming to this one. Love God by pursuing him in word and prayer. So here's a basic overview of what we mean by that. I'm going to have some practical suggestions, have hopefully some time for some questions at the end. So first of all, we want to love God. Well, how is it we love God? Well, there are these two sub-values. 
Uh, one is to love God is to pursue God. And when we uh, originally designed these as elders, we, we, we plot to, tried all kinds of different words. Um, uh, we, we, we try to, to think about different concepts. What is it we're really talking about? And, and by the way, all of these are born out of the presupposition of the gospel itself, that God has already pursued us, that God has already chosen us, that God has already saved us, that God has already poured out his spirit in our hearts. So this, this doesn't have so much the gospel embedded in it, but this is our response to the gospel, to our being saved, to the fact that God has loved us, he has chosen us, he's brought us together in union in Christ, he's made us a family. And so now what is our response and that's why the first core value isn't something about God pursuing us, but this is our response. So what do we do in the fact that God has pursued us and captured us? Well, we pursue him. And the pursuing isn't trying to go after somebody um, that is like running from us or somebody that we don't know. But I would say it's, it's a metaphor for the saying that a husband would pursue his wife or a young man might pursue a young woman or uh, one friend might pursue another friend. It's a pursuant for for a pursuance. I think that's the right word uh, for relationship. And so that's what we're talking about. And you're going to see that all of these are relational. All of these have to do. All of the core values have to do with our relationship with God, relationship with one another, relationship with the world. So by pursuing God, that's all to say that He's already captured us. He's already saved us. But now, in response, we are pursuing Him, perhaps similar to. Uh, the beloved in the book of the Song of Solomon. So we pursue him in two different ways. One is in the word, pursuing God in the word. And so when we look at the concept of the word of God, it breaks down in scripture into three major categories, all of which I think are important categories. What is the word of God? There's three ways to answer that biblically, all of which are true and all of which are to be networked together. First of all, the word of God is scripture, the Bible, Genesis through Revelation, the inspired, canonized word of God. And so here, if you will take your Bible, please, and these foundational passages. First of all, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul's last letter that we have um, before uh, he goes to be with the Lord. In 2 Timothy, as he's in prison and he's writing, he says, 2 Timothy 3 verse 14 but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred scriptures or the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then we have the watershed passage about a, a from the Bible itself's definition of itself. All scripture, that is the sacred writings that he's talking about, which up to this point really are the Old Testament, but eventually will be expanded into the Gospels, into the rest of the New Testament. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete or competent, equipped for every good work. And then down in chapter 4, verse 2, he gives him an exhortation that in the uh, charging him in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead to preach the word. And so the word here is in this context, it may be something in particular, but it also includes this, this preaching of scripture, since it is what is useful for teaching and instruction, reproof, rebuke and righteousness. That is what is to be uh, preached and is to be preached by reproving, 
rebuking and exhorting, we see some overlapping words. That's why we know he's speaking about the same word that he just mentioned back in regards to Scripture. So pursuing God in the Word means something as basic as reading our Bibles, listening to our Bibles, hearing our Bibles, that it really is important that God is spoken and we are pursuing God in relationship. We're not doing it to be saved. We're not doing it um, somehow to earn or merit salvation. But God has given us these letters, these epistles, this poetry. God has spoken. It is theonoustos. It is breathed out from God, which is an image in the Bible of, of God's word. And so this is God's created word. And how do we respond to his salvation in a core value? Well, we agree and commit to reading scripture. Something as simple as that. And so that's why we think that some sort of regular Bible reading uh, without trying to merit salvation, you know, and, and ideally, I think a, a daily Bible reading, whether it's on a schedule, whether it's a self-guided tour, whether it's on an app with other people, that the way that we have committed to respond to God together as a church is by taking in scripture. Uh, for those who may be challenged in just reading. Uh, it could be hearing scripture. It could be meditating on scripture. It could be hearing songs about scripture. It could have people uh, reading scripture to us. The means isn't as important as the matter itself. It is the word of God coming to us, growing over years. And so pursuing God in the word is part of this way that we have agreed uh, to pursue him together. <clears throat> Secondly, the word of God is sometimes um, regulated or, or, or um, relegated to this particular thing that we call the good news or the gospel. Um, we can see this in passages like Ephesians 1.13, if you want to turn there with me. Ephesians 1.13. after he opens up this wonderful chapter of God's electing grace and predestination and adoption and forgiveness and mercy, he says in verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So here is the word of the truth, the gospel, the good news of your salvation. So here he's not saying that when you heard the entirety of the Old Testament, but here gospel is, is framed in some particular message, which we know as the good news of the kingdom or the good news of Jesus Christ. We also see him using the terminology in this way in Colossians chapter 1, verse 5. In Colossians 1, verse 5, after thanking God in this benediction for uh, praying for them and seeing their faith, seeing their love, seeing their hope, then we read in verse 13, uh, Colossians, I'm sorry, one, uh, chapter 1, verse 5, he says, of this, <clears throat> this treasure laid up in heaven, <clears throat> excuse me, of this treasure laid up in heaven, you've heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So this is that good news by which it is declared that through Jesus Christ, uh, God is reconciling people to himself. And for that reason, it is this particular message of the gospel. So pursuing God in the word, the gospel, means continuing that relationship of grace. It means I'm pursuing him, constantly remembering 
that it is he who first pursued me. It is he who first loved me. It is he who first saved us. And so the reason that we need to keep the gospel in there is so we don't fall into Pharisaism. So we think that in the scriptures we find eternal life, but these are the ones that actually testify of the grace of God. And then the third layer, if you will, the third uh, thing in the Bible that's called the word of God is Jesus himself. In John chapter 1, verse 1, a very, very well-known and very deep passage. In John 1, verse 1, many of us could probably quote this from memory, but he says, in the beginning was the word. And so here we have the word, the logos uh, of God. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And so here, as it, it, it later unfolds, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then as John's story unfolds, we know that this is the person of Jesus. And so it is pursuing Jesus himself. And this is, again, what makes it relational, that he is the one mediator between God and man. And so through scripture, through the good news, and through Jesus himself, then we're pursuing God, pursuing relationship with God, not pursuing reconciliation, but because we have been reconciled, we are responding relationally uh, to the triune God. And then you also know 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, where the same John writes of Jesus, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life that was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you also may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So here John reminds us of the word that he wrote back in John chapter 1, that they saw, that their hands handled, that they touched, that they heard. Now it is the central uh, message of a person in relationship with a person, and it, it brings about the koinonia, a fellowship with joy. So again, it's, it's not something just we're doing our duty, but it's the word of God found in Scripture through the gospel, the good news of God's reconciliation with us, to put us into koinonia fellowship with Christ himself as a person who is God made manifest among us, uh, the real incarnation, and to put us in fellowship with one another that our joy may be full. And so that's a core value. And whatever else we do as a church, whatever else we believe, whatever else we think, if we don't have that, then we're missing one of the most significant things relationally um, in, in all of Scripture. And so here's how we can kind of summarize this in a sentence. We are a people who are pursuing God by hearing his scriptures, believing his gospel, and living in relationship with his son. And then I mentioned there again, hearing includes all modes of input, whether it's reading, hearing, singing, memorizing. We are to be a people of the word in all three uh, categories. And I added this since the last time I taught it. I think that, that all three of these are important because if, if one is emphasized to the neglect of the others, um, it runs into some serious theological and practical problems. And let me point those out to you. First of all, Bible worship, if, if, if the word of God is merely this, and for some people in their traditions, a particular version of the Bible, 
what it really does wind up is with scripture worship. And as strange as that sounds, or what's been also called bibliolatry, I do think that that's a real potential thing. And I think the scriptures or the Pharisees had it. They, they were the, the ones who studied the scripture thinking that in them they had eternal life by keeping the law. And he said, Jesus said, but yet these are the ones that testify of me. So they, they were experts in the law. They were scribes. They were professionally trained. They were theologically trained. And Jesus was standing right in front of them. And they didn't see him. They didn't have a relationship with him. And it is possible in 21st century America, West, to so have a love of studying the Bible that Jesus could be right in front of us and we would miss him. And so there is this real danger. It is also Bible worship without the gospel is then somehow I'm trying to buy my Bible reading, merit my way with God. I'm doing this because it is my duty. I'm doing this because I ought to do it. I'm doing this because I'll be a bad Christian if I'm not. It doesn't have anything to do with that. It has to do with God saving us in his mercy and us reading the scripture because of the gospel of God's grace so that we have fellowship with Jesus Christ. So that's the first problem. The second problem is when it's emphasized the gospel apart from Jesus and scripture. This is where someone learns the language of grace, the language of forgiveness, the language of mercy, and don't have a lot of interest in the Bible and don't even necessarily have a relationship with Jesus himself. It's just all this. I'm I, I'm I'm free. I'm free. God's forgiven me. God's forgiven me. And yes, there can be a kind of gospel idolatry uh, when it's not uh, fused together with the full expression. And, and this can go wonky in a number of different theological ways where God's commands and God's expectations and, and, and what he actually says in his words. It's like, no, 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 that reading the Bible makes me nervous and it makes me upset. And it, I, there's things in there I don't like. So I'm just going to keep holding on to the fact that God loves me unconditionally. Well, that, that untethered from the scripture itself just goes wonky. And it becomes a love for the message of forgiveness disconnected from relationship with Jesus himself. It can, not always, but if it's emphasized to the neglect of the others, that's a real potential problem. And then the third potential problem is Jesus without the gospel and without scripture. And that is just somebody uses the name of Jesus. They invoke the name of Jesus. Jesus is just like the signature for everything that they say to get everything that they want. And it's just, you know, as long as I say it in the name of Jesus, Pappy told me that if I said it in the name of Jesus, then it's all mine. But but it's without the good news of the reconciliation of Jesus. It's without the 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 infusion of what the rest of the Bible says that Jesus by himself can can be kind of a, just a, another form of idolatry. And so that's why I think I've taken the time to, when we talk about the word, it is the Holy Scriptures with the revealed message of the person of Jesus Christ to bring us into fellowship with the living God through Christ, our mediator. And so I think any of those, and, and that's why we need to be reading our Bible. And by the way, that's why we need the body of Christ, because there are those of us who are probably pulled in one of these particular directions. Like there's one layer of this that is particularly attractive to us, which is why we need the body of Christ uh, together and to be reminded, oh yes, okay, this is about relationship, or oh yes, the Bible's important for me to read, or oh oh yes, I need to remember, it's not by my own 
righteousness that I've been made right, but the good news of what Jesus has done for me. Um, and so that together, then we grow in wherever areas in that hierarchy um, we're weak in over the time. Maturity means those things all growing in strength together. All right, so that's um, kind of the theological framework. And then, then how do we do that? Well, again, it's something as practical, including such practical things as reading the Bible, uh, focusing and remembering and coming back again to, to uh, what the essence of the gospel is and a passage like uh, uh, Titus that tells us, you know, that it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but it is according to his mercy. He has saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit so that that the zealousness for good works that Titus talks about is not good works for merit, but good works because of grace. And then it's coming back and saying, as I'm doing this, am I koinonia? Am I fellowshipping with Christ and with his people? Is this bringing me into relationship or is this just kind of a theological structure or system? And so all of those are, are what we're committed and then figuring out together, like, how do we do this together? And who, who has particular gifts in some of these areas? And how do we, um, I don't want to say balance one another out, but together grow uh, in each of these, these layers. All right, so check myself here. Okay, so pursuing God in the word. Any question about that? And I think that's going to be the most, well, maybe the next card will be a little, a little dense as well. But any question on what I mean by the word and these three things and how they like mesh together? Okay, well, let's move on. Pursuing God in prayer. So that's something of what it means, pursuing God in the word. Now pursuing God in prayer. And I'll keep saying this, but it is pursuing God because he has already captured us. And so we are pursuing him back as the, uh, the the beloved in Song of Solomon for the purpose of relationship, that God wants a relationship with us. And so in prayer, um, here's some just theological, important, fundamental things. Uh, why do we have the right to pray? And, and we have the rights of the children of God. It's not just an invitation. We actually have legal rights to do so. Um, and they come under these three um, issues. Under Romans chapter 5, verse 10, if you'll turn there, we'll be in Romans for a few minutes. In Romans chapter 5, verse 10, we read, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, and in this case is referring to God the Father, by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And so, because of, of um, because of the fall, because of sin, because of, of God's wrath and holy justice, we, we are disenfranchised from the life of God as lost people. And then the gospel comes in and tells us that through Jesus Christ, we have been reconciled to the Father, which now gives us access and a right to come to him. People who are... Um, um, there's a word I'm, I'm looking for, and I'm not quite getting it. Exiled from God, those who have been rejected because of sin, don't have a right to come into the presence of the Father through Jesus. We have the right of reconciliation. We can come to him uh, through the Lord Jesus. So we have reconciliation to the Father. We have adoption through the Son. We have a right of access in prayer uh, that Hebrews certainly talks a lot about. But here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, 
He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So I've been reconciled to the father. And it's not the reconciliation of a citizen. It's the reconciliation of a son or of a daughter. I've been adopted. I've been brought in. I have legal rights to the inheritance, to the claims, to the kingdom of of the father himself through the son. And not only that, in Romans 8.15, we read that we have right of access to God through the indwelling Holy Spirit. In Romans chapter 8, verse 15, we read this. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, and that's prayer language, Abba, Father. And so we have this triune framework, if you will, of the right to prayer because we've been reconciled to the Father by adoption through the Son and by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we can cry out Abba, Father. And the word Abba, as you know, is a word of great intimacy and is relationship. It's not just before the king, but it's before the king who is a father. And so those are the, the, the frameworks of the right to pray. So how can I pray? Well, I not only have like the duty and obligation that I ought to pray, we should think of it, I have the right to pray. Um, I've been reconciled. I have the indwelling Holy Spirit of intimacy. I can come and pray for this reason. And then next, the, the, uh, the, if you will, the ingredients of prayer, and you've heard me talk about this several times over the years, but the ingredients of prayer, the ACTS, and I just, the, the longer I go, the more helpful I find this uh, acronym to be. And, and I think the most healthy prayer um, over time includes all of these. Now, let me stop and say there are some times where only one of them is being done. There may be even seasons where all I can do is cry help, have mercy. Uh, all I can do is petition. I'm so broken and so shattered. But I believe that healthy Christian growth and relationship over time comes by prayer that is, is um uh, expressed in each of these different categories. First of all, adoration. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Praise the, name, play, praise the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. So there's adoration for God, for who God is as creator. And I was just reading the wonderful psalm the other day, Psalm 104, of God showing his glory through the creation. And uh, go listen today to uh, Fernando's um, creation song, which which is um, Fernando Ortega's uh, creation song, which is a kind of a paraphrased summary of Psalm 104. It's just wonderful, isn't it, Joe? Yeah, it's just wonderful uh, of God as creator. And that puts us in touch with the creation, but not like in a pagan way, but in a way that sees creation itself uh, having God's grace and mercy embedded in it. So it is adoration, so spending time in praying of adoration, and this is where prayer walks can be helpful, getting out into creation, getting out into nature, and praying as we do so. Not praying to nature, but praying to God who made all of these things. And so there are psalms that specifically speak of that. There are certainly in Proverbs speaks of this. The book of Job speaks of this. But it's also adoration for God as Redeemer, like what he has done through Jesus Christ, what he has done in reconciling us and all the things that we've talked about even in the previous section. So 
over time, I believe healthy prayer includes praise. If not, it's just always the kid who's coming to ask for things. And again, I don't want to diminish that there are some psalms that are nothing but that. Like, ah, I'm dying. I'm, kill I'm getting killed here. I'm being overwhelmed. So I'm not diminishing that at all. But over time, healthy prayer includes adoration. Then we have confession, confession of sin, uh, Psalm 51. Uh, in, the, in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We confess our sins of commission, the things we've actually done that we know, know we shouldn't do. The sins of omission, the things that we know we should do that we're failing to do. Um, over time, healthy Christian prayer includes confession of our sin. Third, thanksgiving, uh, which is separate, I think, from, or it's certainly attached but it is somewhat separate adoration for who God is and then thanksgiving uh, for God's gifts, both uh, physical and spiritual. Um, thanksgiving for things like a homeland in which we're not hearing missiles fire over our head or thankfulness for mm, this coffee really tastes good. Speaking of which, let me. Yeah. Uh, so for physical gifts, for spiritual gifts. Uh, thank you for forgiveness of sins, sins. Thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you for the good news of the gospel. Thank you for saving me. And so regular periods of gratitude or thanksgiving. And then lastly, uh, supplication, which most of us, when we talk about prayer, I think tend to focus on this one. And it's an important one. Supplication here for our needs, and that's physical, spiritual, whatever it may be, for ourselves. And for others, it's interesting, the Lord's prayer is forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those. Give us this day our daily bread. That's very corporately, uh, congregationally oriented for the body of Christ. And so those are the four basic then ingredients of prayer. And as you've heard me also say, one of the ways that I discipline myself to do this, if I'm, I'm just struggling with being focused in prayer, is to set a timer for seven or something like seven minutes for each one. And then discipline my mind for that seven minutes to only adore. And if I'm really distracted, then I'll, I'll take out my journal and I will write it down to get my mind to focus. And then when my little beeper goes off, then I move to confession and try to, to confess. For, and some of you may say, that just sounds stupid. But for me, it's been one of the, the, the areas of discipline that has most helped me to cultivate um, prayer and consistency in prayer. And as a guy that's been a Christian for 30 years, I've tried a lot of things. And for me, it's been probably the most single helpful thing as far as my discipline for prayer. And it may not work for you, but if not, find something that does. Um, but I think nonetheless, whether you time it or whether you commit to it. And, and when I started, let me, let me confess here, when I started it, I did it for one minute in each section. And then I, I bumped it up to three minutes for each section. Then I got where I did this whole thing for 15 minutes. Then I expanded it out and building those prayer muscles and attention um, over time and expanding it from there. So those, as far as my understanding, are the ingredients of prayer. And then we have lastly here the times of prayer, which fall into basically two categories. What do we mean that we're going to pursue God in prayer? Well, because of the rights that we have through the Father, Son, and Spirit, to adore, confess, thank, and petition. When are we going to do that? Well, there's certainly focused time of intentional, purposeful, 
intensified engagement with God. Just like if I want to build a relationship with my wife, it's good that we walk along the way and we have conversations uh, as we go along the day. But there are also times it's important for us to sit down face to face and focus and have attention toward one another. And that's basically what this is. And so we see in Psalm 5, verse 3, um, in Old Testament sacrificial language, and I think it was Matthew Henry that wrote a whole sermon or treatise specifically on this, on the method of prayer. But it says this, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. And, and the image, the, the Hebrew there is actually uh, how they would order. They didn't just like throw wood onto the altar and chop up the, the sacrifice and throw it on there. It was like done in a very specific orderly way. And he's using that as an image for ordering his prayers before God, not just sloppily throwing them in there, though there are times our prayers need to be as sloppy as we are. But there's also this intention over time to have focused times of prayer. Psalm 5.3, Matthew 6, 6 through 13, Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites uh, who uh, pray to be heard by men. He says, but when you pray, Go into your closet, go into your secret place and there pray, pray to the father who sees you in secret and your father who sees you in secret will reward you. So there's a time of closing oneself off, um, other people not seeing us and having this time of intensified relational prayer uh, with God, which I don't I don't want that. Like I'm not talking I, and I'm just not the guy that typically you now I, I have seasons of prayer and fasting that I, I do it in an extended time. But I'm not, I'm not the guy that you read about in, in your missionary biography who gets up at three in the morning and prays for three hours, you know, before I do anything. Sorry to disappoint you. Um, and that's also not what I'm positing here. I'm not saying that's the, the way to do it. But I, I'm not kidding. Five minutes, starting with five minutes, building those muscles up over time of just, just a time to be with God and then grow out from that. So it's focused, but there's also what I would call moment by moment, ongoing relational uh, uh, practicing in the in the uh, in the words of the old uh, classic book, practicing the presence of God by Brother Lawrence. First uh, Thessalonians five thir- uh, seventeen, pray without ceasing, and so adore, confess, thank, petition without ceasing, and so it, it, it's this crazy and and not that I. Not that I endorse everything that he said in this movie, but you might think of Stephen in, in, in Braveheart, who is conversing with the Almighty. And uh, he just has this constant sense of he's always talking to God. And everybody thinks he's crazy because of that. And he probably is because he's not on his island. But, um, but this is the idea of the one who is seeking to cultivate and live in the presence of God and pray without ceasing. So very quickly... Um, Moving out from that, then we, we come into some categories that are, that are going to be smaller, um, not because they're less important, but because we, we um, well, I don't know why. <laughs> so worship, what do we mean by worship? So pursuing God in prayer and the word, God talking to us, us talking to God, that's relationship through Jesus, which brings us into then and flows out perhaps into, maybe that's why this is briefer, worship. And basically responding in that adoration of God's worship, which is the, the, the um, philological uh, underpinnings of the word worship is worship. It is expressing worth 
um, gratitude, um, um, beauty, truth, goodness for something and identifying its attributes. And because the God, God is the source of all light and life and truth and beauty and goodness, worship is acknowledging that uh, in his presence. So doing that with our hearts, our minds, our mouths, our ears, with our whole bodies. We do that corporately. We do. That's what we're doing on Sunday morning is to come and remind yourself we're not coming because we have everything together or because we've got something magnificent to offer, but we're coming to remind ourselves and to come together to, to see other people that like, I'm not in this alone. This is a, this is a community thing. This is a family thing. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, when you come together as a church. Um, so it's not just we are the church. That's true. We are the church even when we're not here. But there's also times that we come together as the church. Um, sadly, in that passage, he said, you're not coming together for good, but actually for worse. And we don't want that. Um, but there's the coming together corporately or congregationally. When we think of the biblical themes of the people of God, the holy nation, the temple, the priesthood, the family, the army, these are these are all uh, entities or or images that are made up of individual pieces, but they're seen in their beauty and purpose and function when they come together uh, in a very uh, special way. So what we do on the Lord's Day is we gather together for worship. We're pursuing God in worship is an eschatological symbol, which just means a, a picture of the end times of what's going to happen at the end for the gathering of the people of God, for his worship from the north, south, east, west, and the presence and spirit of God. That's what we're doing here. We're, we're reminding ourselves that one day we will stand before the presence of Jesus. And then Romans 12, 1, offer your bodies, my beloved brethren, I beseech you by the mercies of God to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is holy and pleasing to God, for this is acceptable worship. And so Romans 12, 1 tells us that we're worshiping God, not just corporately, but everywhere I live in my body, I'm to be offering worship to God. This is the reality of being redeemed possessions of Christ and living the entirety of life for his glory. All right, that is the end of our time. Um, I don't have time for questions and answers, sorry, um, but come and ask me anything. But those those are things I hope that are very, very familiar, but are reminders. And uh, my, my kind of takeaway question would be, what is there any particular area of anything you heard you, you thought, hmm, that, that's an area that I think the Lord would have me develop in or that I, I, I need to take more seriously or I need to pursue? And then ask yourself the question, what might be a first step in having some modicum, just even some small, you know, millimeter of a movement in the direction of developing that, of cultivating that by God's grace? And if you need any help as far as resources or recommendations or just to pray with you or whatever it may be, um, please let myself or Tyler or, or one of your other brothers and sisters know um, as we pursue God together. So core value number one, love God because you have first been loved. Let's pray. So Father, thank you for your word. We are embarrassed by its riches, but thankful for the depth that over decades we can read and grow and not plumb the depths of them. And so we ask, um, Lord, that because of your great love, you would help us to pursue you and worship you uh, so that we might be joyful that we might enjoy fellowship, that our joy may be full, and you would be glorified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.